Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Ginny. I'm the interim lead pastor here, and I am so, so glad to be with you this morning. I've been out uh, for the last five weeks with my family, and it was wonderful, but I'm so glad to be back here with you all and in church together. Uh, we went out west, which was really nice. We even got uh, snow, which if you asked me earlier this year if I was going to be in snow in May, I would have said absolutely not. Um, it was great. And then um, I stepped off a plane a couple weeks ago in Atlanta into someone's mouth, it felt like. So happy summer. <laughs> um, it's here. We're doing it. Uh, so anyways, um, I am so glad to be here, be here with you guys. I have a couple of announcements or things to say. Uh, the first of which is I am pregnant. Um, great news. Um, and Basically, from the moment I start thinking about being pregnant, I become out of breath. So <laughs> that's the number one reason I'm telling you. It's uh, quite unnerving to have that feeling and to have a microphone this close to your mouth. So uh, we'll all just bear through that for the next few months. Uh, due in December, uh, Micah Dalton is calling it Christmas Bay. So join in if you'd like. We're very excited. Uh, so thanks for celebrating with us. Um, secondly, and on a more serious note, I just want to acknowledge all the things that have happened since I was here last. Um, lots of things going on in our country, in our world. Mass shootings, multiple mass shootings. Um, not to mention so much that's going on politically around Roe v. Wade and gun control and now the January 6th hearings. It's just been like a heavy time to be alive, you know? And, um, and I just wanna, I, I'm just so grateful for the people who were here during this time with you all. I felt, I felt sad not to be here with you all, um, to be sharing kind of that, that space with you, and yet felt fully confident in, in all the people who were here in the meantime, and I'm just so grateful for them. Um, and I just want to say that it's a, it's a heavy time. It's a heavy time to live in our world. And I promise you to continue thinking deeply about these things, acknowledging them. We're not going to pretend like they're not happening. Um, we're going to pray about these things first and foremost, but also I just say to you, like, we're going to think deeply about these things together. I think the very worst place any of us could be in a time like this is alone and ha have access to the internet, you know? And like, truthfully, that is where so much of the world is. Relatively lonely w with internet access, and it makes us crazy, um, makes us petty, um, makes us cynical. I get to stand here and look at you all. I get to see like the full picture of the community that is in this room and in this building when we come together. And um, I'm not going to come up here and like make declarations for all of us, but I am going to say some things probably over the next few months that is just us thinking and doing life together. So, um, so that's my commitment to you in a weird and hard time and space. And I, I promise you we will pray um, and we will, we will worship God. That's what we're going to do here together as Christians. I'm so glad that we can have each other to kind of wade in these waters together. Uh, so today, today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday is a part of the church calendar. It's a liturgical day. It falls on the first Sunday after Pentecost, which is the 50th 
day of Easter, which is today. So happy Easter, everyone. We're still doing it. We're set of a green one. I'm not sure. Uh, so, so yeah, we have the green. It honors the descent of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' apostles and followers. It's kind of like a Pentecost 2.0. So it's a really great day for all of us to come together and think about the Trinity. Think about what it means that our God is three in one. So now I won't lie to you. I've been thinking about this all week. I remember distinctly sitting in my seminary theology class years ago and saying to myself, you know, learning about the Trinity and saying like, huh, I will never preach on the Trinity because it's too easy to be heretical, frankly. And there are all kinds of YouTube videos of pastors saying dumb things and people in the comments saying, this is, this is how this person is heretical. Um, and yet, you know, here I am. Here you all are. We're about to do it together. So, um, so I'm excited. I have more confidence than I did five years ago. Thanks be to God. Uh, so, so we're going to read this text together. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Now, these are in the upper room discourse where Jesus is teaching and praying for his disciples. And right now he's telling them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen especially towards the end of the text, for the kind of like Trinity language. You know what I mean? Like how the, how the Father and the Son and the Spirit kind of work together. Starting in verse 5. Jesus says, But now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, the advocate being the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer, about judgment because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Now here especially, listen for the words. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears and will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. And for this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the Trinity is this idea that we have understood and developed over a long period of time as human beings. But the concept is a capital T truth that has existed since the, the beginning of eternity, not a thing, but you know what I mean, um, has always existed. Uh, we just can see, I think, really clearly in the Bible, this sort of like development of understanding of what this thing is, starting as human beings to put together that God is triune, but not three different things. Um, God is one, but God is also three in one. Uh, we can see it in the Old Testament. We can then particularly see it in the Gospels and the Epistles, this biblical witness of the Trinity. So what I'm saying to you is that this isn't something the church kind of invented, like saw that there was like three persons of the Trinity and said like, well, let's come up with this idea. Um, it's already there. There's a very clear witness to it. And while um, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, it's a very helpful word for us to kind of describe the, the, um, the concept. 
So we've been in the Gospel of Luke this year, and we'll actually come back to Luke next week, and we'll be in Luke for a while. And one of the reasons I think the Gospel of Luke is special, it's like John in this, but of the synoptic Gospels, Luke is, I think, special, because it's almost like a, a, you know, theological course in the Trinity, and what it looks like for Jesus to be a a person of the Trinity. Because Jesus, all throughout the gospel, talks about his reliance on the Father, talks about loving the Father, coming from the Father, being one with the Father. But then also in Luke's gospel, Jesus is constantly talking about the Spirit, praying to the Spirit, rejoicing in the Spirit. So Luke is kind of like this, this this text about the Trinity. Uh, So it'll be fun to be more and more in that book over the coming weeks. There are so many ways of referring to the work of the Trinity and to our relationship with the Trinity theologically. Um, You've probably heard a lot of these things. Some of them are directly quotes from the Bible, and some of them are just ways that we've um, taken the understanding from the Bible and put it in our own terms. We're saved by God through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. By the Spirit, we are united with Christ and receive adoption as children of God. We can know God through the Spirit, through Jesus, by the Spirit, and on and on we can go. The Spirit, the the Trinity functions in such a way that our story of salvation is completely wrapped up in who the Trinity is. In the fact that our God is three in one. And we're unique in this as Christians. There is no other religion that has something like this where um, God is not parts but one persons rather than parts. In the 300s, a man named Athanasius. Anybody know Athanasius? Does that name sound familiar? I see like one small little hand. Um, I don't count the theologians because I know you know. Um, So there's this man, lived a long time ago. He's a very brave man and he fought. This is a very short version of this story. He fought for this version, um, this vision of who God is, of the Trinity. And there was another man, his enemy, Arius, who said, no, Jesus did not exist before he came to earth and therefore could not be one with the Father in that way and therefore the Trinity cannot exist. Me. One of the things that it means to be an Orthodox Christian If you go on our website, you'll see on our creeds, the Athanasian Creed is on there. One of the things it means to be an Orthodox Christian is to believe the Athanasian Creed. This creed that was birthed out of this belief that the Trinity was essential to who we were as Christians, to the message that Jesus came to bring to the world. So I want to read a little bit of this creed to you because we'll never probably say it in church, but it's really lovely. And if you like theology, hopefully you're blessed by this. I think it'll be on the screen. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, the Holy Ghost uncreated. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet are not three eternals, but one eternal, which I just think is lovely. Did you guys like that? It's very nice. So why does the Trinity matter for us? We've done a lot of theology so far. Why does this matter? What's the point of this? God in three persons means that God is, in God's very essence, relational. Michael Reeves says in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, here is a God who is not essentially lonely or existing alone, but who has been loving for all eternity as the Father has loved the Son in the Spirit. 
Loving others is not a strange or novel thing for this God at all. It is at the root of who God is. So if God is one person, then until God created other beings, there couldn't have been love because love is something that is shared between two beings in existence. However, if God is triune, then loving relationship in community is at the center of God's very existence. It's the stuff God is made of. What we mean by God is love when we say that is not that God likes love or God is really worshipped when we love. It's that God is made up of love. And if God ever stopped loving, God would stop existing. That's how made up of love God is. Augustine puts it this way, that in God's very own life, in the Trinity, there is a society of love. So what does this look like in the Trinity? How does this society of love function? The early leaders of the church used this word to describe, if you want to like have a visual for like how does the Trinity exist in the universe. Um, they used this word called perichoris, image of the three persons pastor who brought this very old idea kind of into the modern mind in his book, The Reason for God, says this. Each of the divine persons centers around the others. None demands that the others revolve around them. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. And this creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. This is what the Trinity looks like. And friends, we were made in this image. When the Bible tells us that we were made in the image of God, what it is saying is that we too are at our very essence relational and meant to live in relationship, to move towards others, to move towards God. In fact, I think this is what abundant life looks like. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I came to bring you life and life abundant. Let's read more from Keller because I think he'll do a better job of saying this than I will. When Jesus says, this is important, when Jesus says you must lose yourself in service to find yourself, he was recounting what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been doing throughout eternity. You will then never get a sense of self by unless you are willing to experience the loss of options and the individual limitation that come from being in committed relationships, you will remain out of touch with your own nature and the nature of God. It's a very big thing to say and I think a very true thing to say. So of course, when Jesus comes to earth, this is how he understands his own existence, his purpose in life. This is how he understands how to teach us how to live like him, how to follow him. He tells us to lose ourselves, to find ourselves. He tells us that friendship, love, looks like laying yourself down for another person. This is what it looks like to be God-like, he tells us. And of course, it's what Paul taught the early church about humility, what it means to not consider equality with God something to be grasped. When he talks about in Galatians about uh, love looks like serving one another. This is what the Trinity is like. To be like Jesus, to be a free person, to be most truly ourselves, to reflect God in the most deepest and truest ways in which we were made, we must move towards others. We must, our like cycle of life must be movement outwards towards God and towards our neighbors. So that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. I'll say a couple things about, about moving towards God and moving towards others and then, and then we'll close. 
So as I was thinking about this idea of moving towards God all this week, you know, there are lots of things to say about that, about what it looks like to move towards God. And yet there's kind of one thing that was really sticking with me that felt important to say, and that's that I think so many of us spend the majority of our lives chasing God rather than moving towards God, if you'll allow me, like, the nuance of that. We just can't bring ourselves to believe that God is already with us, that maybe we haven't done enough to earn God, and so we have to do that first in order to move towards God. But the gospel teaches us that we cannot earn God, that the work has already been done for God to be with us, that we have already been adopted by God through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, to God's presence being with you. Um, That's already been done. So the question for some of us is, can I move past that into what is, I don't say this with, you know, any, with all the love in my heart, a more adult form of spirituality, which is realizing that I cannot earn it. Can I start from there? Can I understand that God has already done for me what I want so desperately to do for myself and cannot do and go from there? Can I begin then to move towards God? Once we're there, if you feel stuck in your relationship with God, I think this is for some of us the reason why. Once we are there, we can begin to discern the call of God on our life. We begin to discern the voice of God in our lives. We can start having communion with God rather than running after God for all of our days. It is then that we can do the thing that I think is really important when it comes to moving towards God, what it really looks like, the, really, the bottom line of it is that we can think less and less about ourselves and more and more about God. That's what ultimately moving towards God looks like. And when we have this idea of earning God's love or God's presence or our own salvation, it's us focused. It's lots of thoughts about me and what I need to do, what I have done or haven't done. And what God wants us to do is to step out of that space and just begin to think about him, begin to think about God, begin to think about God more and ourselves less. As John the Baptist put it, I think so poetically and succinctly better than anyone could ever say it, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's what movement towards God looks like. It means less of Ginny and more of Jesus. The second way we reflect the Trinity, I believe, is moving towards one another And this is what life in Christian community is is meant to look like, is meant to look like us moving towards one another like the the persons of the Trinity move towards one another in this sort of rejoicing and deferring and celebrating. Jesus gave his disciples, I think, two gifts at this moment we just read about um, in the Bible, at this farewell speech in the Gospel of John. He gives his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit, And he also gives his followers the gift of life in a community of friends who lay down their lives for one another, who wash each other's feet. Those are like the two things Jesus has at this like very last beautiful dinner together with his friends. Like here, (laughs) these are the things that I leave with you. These are the things. Self-expending, other-affirming, community-building love. The power of the triune God is not coercive, but creative, sacrificial, and empowering love. So if you want to know what like, that looks like in terms of moving towards someone, thinking about other people, loving them, I think that's such a good and beautiful quote. I'm biased, but 
I think my husband is one of the greatest examples. I would think that. Um, but let me give you an example of, of who he is, how, how he works, as opposed to me, who's a, who's a, um, a great sinner. <laughs> um, so we spent a lot of time with family when we were on sabbatical, and we have some really strong, deep theological and political disagreements with some people in our family. And my default posture when I get into spaces like that is, how can I convince you? That's just what I bring to the table. And even if I bring it with like a smile and some peace, that's what I bring. How can I convince you? And I, I watch him in a different, completely different way come to the table with, how can I move towards you? And it's infuriating. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. <laughs> because I want them to be killing him so badly. I want them to know what I know because I think it's true and I think it's really important. And what I'll say is, I think that sometimes moving towards someone means saying the hard things, you know, like attempting, truly attempting to bring them into kind of the light of maybe of what you believe that, that, that God is telling you about the world. But if you start there, if you start from how can I convince you, you won't be open to the movements of the Spirit when the Spirit says, stop, move towards. Just get close. Listen. Understand. I can't hear God when he says those things when my only goal is how can I convince you. It takes a lot of creativity to be open to what the Spirit might want to do and say. A lot. And if I start with, my will be done, there is nothing less creative in me than starting with myself and making myself the end goal. Nothing less creative, nothing less loving. So if I start with, how can I move towards you? And then if the Spirit says, start to explain your way of thinking, I'm like, okay, I will. But if the Spirit says, this isn't going anywhere, how can you love this person? How can you make them feel heard? That's the best way to move forward in this. Then I can hear that then I can listen to that. So you may be thinking, not listening to what I'm saying, because you're thinking, movement towards one another in the Trinity has a very great difference between moving towards one another uh, as a human being. And what is that? <laughs> Sin, right? Uh, which is, makes some serious complexities for you and for me in terms of trying to move towards one another. Um, and that's because of sin. Uh, so in particular, I think, one of the complexities and problems about being a, a human being trying to move towards another human being in the spirit is um, that we are not individual products of individual things. We are individual products of systems, of com complexity in that way, of family systems, of our communities that we grow up in, systems within our states, our countries, our worlds. So sometimes moving towards means not just towards individual people, but sometimes the very best moving towards we can do is doing this kind of upper level moving towards, bringing justice into our world, looking at kind of a bigger picture of things. Um, because me continuing to move towards individuals when there's a greater issue, when there's a greater problem, you know, um, isn't really that helpful. And for some of us, I think all of us to a certain extent, that we're called to that, to see a kind of bigger view of, of why people are suffering in the world, of what God is calling us into to move towards. 
in a world where sometimes depending on the color of your skin or your gender or things like how much you weigh, systems can naturally move towards you. Or they can, if it doesn't move towards others, I think that I have a responsibility as a Christian to say something about that, to do something about that, to care about that. It's a part of me moving towards others to say, um, to speak against those kinds of things. In both moving towards individuals and moving towards others through systemic change, the gift for us as Christians, and it's important to remember this, is that we have the freedom of Christ. In the freedom of Christ, what I mean by that is that it allows us to do what we need to do and to say what we need to say. And then as our worship pastor Micah says, stand back, beloved. (laughs) To stand back. To not do everything. Do you know why I come to the table of hard conversations with how do I convince you? It's because I think Jesus needs me to. Jesus needs me to convince you, husband, and men are wrong. (laughs) The kingdom depends on it. And the reason someone like my husband and many other wonderful people in the world can come to the table with, how can I move towards you, is because they have this deep sense that the spirit is going to do more than we could, than I could in a conversation like that. That Jesus is strong enough and wise enough and big enough to carry into those people's hearts and lives, all the things that I cannot carry, to say all the things that I cannot say. And so while we're called to move towards people, we are also called to do it with the freedom of Christ, the freedom to know that Jesus is going to do all of the work. We're just there to to do whatever we can. And the older I get, the more captured I am by who Jesus is and the way he lived his life. So much of who Jesus was was so complicated to me as a young person. And um, thank God for growing older, you know, um, for, for living more life and watching Jesus in the Gospels and learning more about him and the amazing things that he did. And as I, as I know who Jesus is in my own life and as I've witnessed him in his own life in the Gospels, here's what I think Jesus did. I think Jesus moved toward people about a third of the time by speaking truth to power. I think Jesus moved toward people another third of the time by speaking forgiveness to sinners. And I think Jesus moved towards people the last third of the time by speaking healing to broken and hurting people. So a good rule for me, and a good rule I believe for you, is asking which of these am I doing? In my moving towards someone, which of these am I doing? If I'm not doing one of those things, or... If I'm doing them for myself, for my own motivations, for my own will to be done, it's time to check myself. It's time to move back and to question, to ask how I can better move towards, how I can be more like Jesus in the way that I move towards others. Because my will be done is not how I was created to be. It's not who I was created to be. So to close, I'll just say this, that learning to move towards both God and others is all about humility. And I think now more than ever, we have a, a belief, a vir- we believe in the virtue of humility. We just think it's wonderful. And hardly any of us live humble lives. 
social media makes it so that we build our platforms, even if you're like, it doesn't help my career, but it makes everyone love you and think your kids are cute. It's like we're still building this thing that's, that's around ourselves, the Ginny platform, you know what I mean? And so humility is this thing of like, everyone else, not me. God, not me. I'm doing this to move outwards, to move towards others. It's all about humility. Jesus taught us this. Now, it isn't about losing every shred of your identity in service to others. Some people would have you believe that. Some pastors, some churches, some communities would have you believe that you have to entirely lose yourself, especially depending on things like your gender, in order to be the person that you were created to be. And that is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that this, this way of living will save you from yourself even as it brings you to yourself. That's what Jesus says. In order to find yourself, you must lose yourself, but you will find yourself. The path to the God of liberation, the God of freedom, the God of resurrection is humility, is less of me, all the way to the cross. He must increase, I must decrease. That is movement towards. That's what it looks like to move outwards. God, would you make us into the kinds of people who think of ourselves less and you more and others more? Would you give us the humility to move outward? That my will be done will not be the song of my life, but your will be done, Lord. We repent, we confess, Lord, change our hearts especially as we move into times of conflict and arguments and black and whiteness, Lord. Help us to have wisdom, help us to see, and help us to lay our own plans and agendas down. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, friends. This is Matthew, the lead pastor at Emmanuel Anglican Church in East Atlanta. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are disciples of Jesus who are seeking his kingdom and the flourishing of our neighbors. And if you want to find out more about Emmanuel and what's going on, just hop over to our website. The address is Emmanuel, that's with an I, EmmanuelATL.org. Thanks so much. God bless you. Grace and peace.